I think Therefore I Fan podcast is generously supported by our listeners. If you would like to be a supporter of I Think Therefore I Fan, please go to our webpage at ithinkthereforeifan.com. Click on the tab that says Donate to see the various options for being a supporter. We appreciate it greatly. Spoiler alert time. In this episode, we discuss a number of things. Lord of the Flies, Orange is the New Black, The Walking Dead, The Happy Time Murders, and Lost in Space. You've been warned. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the podcast. Yeah, welcome. It's great to have you here. Our topic for today will be social contract theory and how... The ideas expressed in social contract theories apply to shows like The Walking Dead, Lost in Space, Season 5 of Orange is the New Black, and maybe books like Lord of the Flies and, uh, and, and others. So uh, to start, let's just say a little bit about what social contract theory is. Um, so most social contract theories involve a description of some early state in human development before we've established political institutions, um, or culture, infrastructure, and things like that. So Richard, do you want to say a little bit about what social contract theory is typically used to do in philosophy? Yeah, yeah. There's a variety of uses, um, but sort of three seem to be maybe the, the most ubiquitous. So in, in some cases, people will talk about um, a state of nature and social contract theory with an eye towards showing how morality arises, right? It, it grounds morality, or at least gives a descriptive story about where morality comes from. Um, another use, maybe a, a more common one, is to justify certain political institutions, right? So you would use social contract theory to make an argument for a particular kind of constitution. And then the third, very much related to the second, is putting constraints on political institutions, saying, you know, these are rights that we have prior to any system of government, um, any sort of societal structure. So these are the rights that cannot be bargained away. So those are those are sort of the main ones. And in that last respect, uh, the U.S. Constitution um, was heavily influenced by Locke. Right, right, yeah. right. One initial interesting question to ask is, what would life be like in a state of nature? So, um, Richard, what, did you want to say something about what Plato thought about this? Yeah, so one of the early accounts of, of the state of nature is, is found in Book 2 of Plato's Republic, right? So there, we're to imagine ourselves in a situation where there's, there's no cities, no states, no government, no laws, no social structure... Um, we don't get a real sort of description of what it's like day to day, other than we know that in this in this situation, this state of nature, um, people are acting in their own self-interest. And it turns out that harming others because of their limited resources is something that's in one's self-interest, right? 
other people are feeling the same way, so I'm harming you in this state of nature, you're harming me. And um, it's pointed out that that the badness of being harmed outweighs the goodness of harming. So if, if I harm you in some way um, and take some resources and you harm me back and take the resources back, the resources are right back where they started, but we're both sort of worse off. So the, 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 the picture is that it's, it's not good, right? It, it, it doesn't describe it as a horrible place, um, but it, it's not a place you want to be. Um, I don't know. It's, it's like where the puppets live in the Happy Time Murders or something <laughs> like that. You know, could be worse, but it's not good. <laughs> don't, the, don't the puppets and the humans live together? Yeah, but, but they, <laughs> they, they live in a kind of a crappy part of town. Okay. Right? So, okay. yeah, I, LA in puppet world, it's divided into state of nature and not state of nature. And the, and the puppets, who are mostly junkies and, and prostitutes, are relegated to the, the state of nature. But anyway, I, I think I've begun to digress. Don't take the fact that we're talking about that show to be an endorsement of going to see it. Yeah. Um, but, okay. In a state of nature, they always play the happy time murders. <laughs> and that leads us into Hobbes' depiction of the state of nature. Uh, that he, he describes the state of nature as being solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. Probably the most um, famous quote from Hobbes. Um, so he thinks that the state of nature uh, is a terrible place that, that we would strive to get out of. Um, uh, you can contrast that uh, with somebody like John Locke, who uh, doesn't seem to think that the state of nature is such an awful place. It's a state of perfect liberty. Um, uh, and for Locke, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but for Locke, um, a state of nature is pre-political, but it isn't pre-moral. So you don't have these horrible people running around to quite the same extent that you do with Hobbes. So... I thought we might, uh, now that we've gotten a couple of pictures of what uh, a state of nature would be like, we could talk about uh, whether these characters in, our, in various uh, pop culture um, shows and, and movies and so on, uh, whether, whether they actually count as being in a state of nature. Right, right. It's definitely billed as sort of states of nature type scenarios, yeah. but whether that sort of lives yeah. up to... Um, you know, the billing, whether it lives up to the billing or not, is, is an open question at this point. Right. So um, what, it seems like one key feature of a, a social, of a state of nature is that it's pre-political, right? That there's, they aren't political institutions. There, aren't, there isn't that kind of infrastructure. So uh, let's maybe first talk about The Walking Dead. Uh, I think The Walking Dead pretty straightforwardly does count as a state of nature kind of scenario. As almost all zombie apocalypse shows or movies do and uh maybe apocalypse shows in general because one of the, one one kind of central feature of apocalypse shows is everything's gone right right and so the, the the leader of the the main group in the walking dead of course is, is rick grimes and he's an authority figure and he was one before but he's a sheriff right so um to the extent that you know it if if it were not sort of corresponding to the state of nature the old political leaders would be in charge, right? There's, mm -hmm. there's plenty of people that outrank law enforcement officers. So this is an example of he was the strongest voice pretty early on and um, offered the most sort of natural leadership. So he gets thrust into that role. Um, and we can contrast that with, say, um, Lost in Space. Right. Right, which we might want to say a little bit more about Lost in Space later. But um, there, right there in kind of a state of nature situation, 
Um, but as the, the various groups um, from the, you know, the, the Jupiters find one another, um, the, the people that prior to the, um, the, the attack and the accident that um, outranked others hold on to those ranks. Right. And people are trained in certain positions and you've got them actually continuing to fulfill those roles even after they're stranded. Um, and so it seems like there's some structure in terms of what everybody's supposed to be doing. Right, right. Um, and just quickly back to The Walking Dead. I mean, um, there's there's no well-organized society anywhere in the planet, no matter how big or how small or how it's structured or what it's a society of, where Daryl's second in charge of anything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so clearly, but yeah, he's the survivalist, right? I mean, he, he makes a good case for even being the leader, right? He's... He's the one best able to help under those circumstances. Right. So the, the set of, of virtues of character that would be uh, necessary in a state of nature would be a very different set from the ones that would be useful in, in maybe in real life once we have political institutions. Right. And there's an interesting sort of contrast with Carol between her old life where, um, you know, she was a, a battered wife. Right. And I think what you're supposed to think is at least part of the, the structure the societal structures in place um, in The Walking Dead pre-zombie apocalypse um, do things to oppress people who are otherwise great. You take her out of that situation where she's been pigeonholed um, and she's not just this sort of battered wife. Um, she's the, the the second most badass person on the show, right? <laughs> it goes um, Daryl, Carol, and then, you know, Rick somewhere close to the top of the list and, and a handful of others. But, you know, I mean, she's... She's the, the sort of most amazing. Um, and so that's a sort of interesting commentary, I think, on what life in a state of nature is like. Um, it's hard, right? So Hobbes is right. It's solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. But some people really excel. Um, you might even wonder if some people aren't happier in that situation. Uh, I actually which, think that some people wish it would happen, like yeah, yeah, in yeah. real life. <laughs> right, <laughs> big chunks of our society are preparing for it. They um, feel like they maybe don't 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 feel like enough of a badass in real life, and and and. But hey, if there was only a zombie apocalypse, yeah, then think, they'd show their true colors. Right, that that's related to the idea that everybody believes they're going to be the one that survives, even though there's you know a hundred people in The Walking Dead and eight thousand zombies in any region. Right? So. <laughs> Well, I took a Facebook quiz and learned that I would survive a zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah. You totally would. You're a badass. <laughs> um, yeah, I unfortunately, um, I don't run that fast. And I, you know, I, I, I can't um, carry a lot of stuff. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm dead. I'm, I'm toasted. Well, let's face zombie. it. We're philosophers. We're both dead. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they need philosophy in a, in a state of nature, too. It's, it's too bad. Okay, uh, another show where this comes up is uh, Orange is the New Black. Uh, so the, it's an interesting question whether we've got a state of nature here. Um, so season five, not my favorite season of Orange is the New Black. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not crazy. So, spoiler alert, uh, the, the, whole, the whole season takes place during a prison riot, uh, which I thought there's more interesting development of the characters in other scenarios. Uh, a little too action-packed for me. But... but um, We've got a situation where the the prisoners are essentially running the prison, um, wow. and so any of the the sort of what you might call the political institutions or the the laws are uh, not present during the riot. 
Right, right. And during some of the season, there's a, a gun floating around, a single gun. And whoever has the gun has virtually 100% of the power. They mm. call the shots and then somebody else manages to get it and they call the shots. And, and that's the extent of the, the organization of whatsoever. Right. Um, yeah, now that you say that, that reminds me a lot of Lord of the Flies. I wonder if there was, there's explicit, uh, it's an explicit homage because in Lord of the Flies, whoever has the conch gets to speak. Right, 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 right. Yeah, and I think the, the first season of The Walking Dead is sort of an homage to Lord of the Flies as well, right? You get this little microcosm of society and they're working things out and so forth. Right. Uh, so there's some argument to be made that, that the prison riot uh, isn't really a, a state of nature um, because they're, st they're still they're still aware of um, an enforcement structure. They're still aware of laws and they know full well that this, this enforcement structure and these laws are going to bear on them once this riot ends. And so some of the prisoners are making certain sorts of decisions, you know, to, to be good and to not get involved in the drama that's unfolding. Uh, there's a lot of character, there are a lot of characters that are behaving particularly badly uh, and some seeking to avoid that kind of behavior for fear of consequences, which you wouldn't have to be Concerned, you wouldn't have to be concerned with legal or political consequences in the state of nature. Right. And in fact, the, the more prescient ones are, have been aware the whole time that this is, is very temporary. And then they've positioned themselves to negotiate, to right. help um, bring it to an end, but do so in a way that maybe gets them some things back that they feel like they'd lost um, as the, the institution privatized in the previous season. So they're saying, okay, look, we'll end this riot, but... Um, we want better education and we want healthier food and things like that. Right. So the happy time murders, is, is that a, a state of nature? No. No. Okay. I, I got to get off this. question to consider is what human beings would be like in a state of nature. How would they behave? Different shows that we've discussed on this episode so far portray this in different ways. Let's briefly talk about the way some of the philosophers we've, we've discussed picture human beings in a state of nature. So for Hobbes, we've mentioned that the state of nature is a really ugly place. It's a perpetual state of war. Um, and so it might not be surprising then to hear that for Hobbes, uh, human nature was pretty ugly. So um, people in the state of nature behaved in self-interested ways. Um, so they would identify resources that they wanted and they would take them. And uh, Hobbes also did see um, human beings as reasonable uh, even though they were self-interested. And so this is why they would ultimately form social contracts because uh, they would, it, would be, it was in their interest to uh, protect themselves against harm. Um, so, uh, but they were self-interested. That was their primary motivation. Do, do you think that some people that are living in our society today would sort of welcome that kind of Hobbesian state of nature? Right? I mean, it, it sounds bad, but... It, I feel like I know lots of people that think, oh, that would just be great. Right? They, they, they're the ones that maybe believe they're going to run roughshod over everybody else and it's you know, going to be the Wild West. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. Um, especially, well, and then th- there's something to that because right now it's kind of hard to get your hands on resources because we have such extreme economic disparity between the rich and the poor. So I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of people think that the, the apples are way too far out of reach. Mm-hmm. So, so they might actually be better off, not just that it would be fun to be a commando and that sort of environment, but um, things would be good for them there. there right. It would be more plentiful. Perhaps. So the people who, people who might be interested in that sort of thing though, uh, might be just the way that Hobbes describes human beings. It's motivated by self-interest because, mm-hmm. uh, if you're motivated, say, by morality or altruism, you're not going to want to revert to that state. Right, right. Um, right. Your, so, your hand will be forced to behave in ways that, that you find unpalatable. or Right. Um, so for, Locke has a very different picture of what human beings are like in a state of nature. Um, so we mentioned that for Locke, a state of nature is a state of perfect and complete liberty. But Locke, unlike Hobbes, um, thinks that Though the state of nature is pre-political, we don't have political institutions in place, it's not pre-moral because um, things like morality and rights are things that are God-given. And so you would have those in a state of nature even before the creation of political institutions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, this goes back to what I mentioned, the the different purposes for the state of nature, right? Locke's really, or, um, yeah, the different purposes... He's really putting constraints on governments, right? The, the claim is, you know, you can form a constitution and you can set it up however you want if everybody's agreeing to it, but certain things are off the table, right? Rights that we have in a state of nature unlocks for you can't be bargained away, right? So you can't bargain away the right to life, the right to liberty, and interestingly enough, the right to property, right? Which it, a lot of people have the intuition that sure, everyone's got a right to life and liberty, um, it's, it's a subset of people, I think, at best, you know, kind of a small subset. They have the intuition that, that we have property rights in that sort of context. Right. Oh, no, an interesting way of thinking about this, too, is that um, Hobbes and Locke were both writing during the um, English Civil War. And you've got one figure that would be more supportive of monarchy and another figure that was more supportive of revolution. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know. So they were on the two different sides of, oh, wow. So, um, that explains a lot. Hobbes would be more supportive of monarchy. Locke would be more supportive of, uh, revolution because, um, he didn't view the state of nature as such a bad place. And Mm -hmm. also he, uh, he thought that as you were just discussing that human beings have these natural rights that can't be, uh, violated, and so you would be justified in revolting if they were. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The Lord of the Flies is a great example of Hobbes's depiction of human nature in a state of nature. So, it, if you haven't read that book, you should. It involves a bunch of little boys who, as a result, I think, of a plane crash, end up stranded on an island. And at first, they try to form a society. Um, with some well-ordered rules and uh, a sort of dictated scheme of responsibility. Uh, But pretty early on, that all starts to disintegrate and they're all just pursuing resources at whatever the cost and they're violent against one another. Some of these boys even end up dead (laughs) 
and uh, they make these these factions uh, based on your sort of power relations and um, and that that really illustrates this idea that that human beings in the absence of political institutions would just become self-interested mm-hmm. yeah I mean it rings true right as, as you're reading it you think yeah, that's this is human nature given the situation given the resources this is kind of what you'd expect uh, yeah so one thing that I think about these different accounts is and, and I think this is going to apply to the shows we're going to talk about too is uh, I wonder if there's just a lot more room for nuance there and the nuances might um, vary depending on what groups you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to Lord of the Flies on Audible and at the beginning uh, the author said he thought that the same description, the same, uh, the same description of human nature, the same set of things uh, wouldn't happen if he'd written about a group of little girls rather than little boys. Hmm, and I don't know what I think about that, but it's interesting to think about. Um, we should try it. Let's, <laughs> let's round up some of our son's friends. Put the girls Ship, on one island. Shipwreck them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We could podcast from there. We'll, we'll just be remote live. observers. Yeah, I'm yeah. you live. A state yeah. of nature. Uh, uh, yeah, so I don't know. I mean, so in, in the in the in the various shows where you're dealing with state of nature type cases, do we see just one picture of human nature emerge? Uh, so I'm thinking about um, Lost in Space, mm-hmm. and uh, we we had some questions about whether that really counts as a state of nature kind of scenario. But one person who goes straight to the Hobbesian uh, self interest kind of description is Dr. Smith. Right. Right. right yeah. But nobody else is doing that. Right. And she was there before, right? I mean, yeah, the, before, right. Getting on the, the ship, she's, you know, um, I don't want to give too much of it away, but she's, she's doing some pretty bad things just to, to be part of the mission in the first place, right? Ooh, but then you can even push the picture, the, the question back because. Though they weren't living in a total state of nature on Earth, you were dealing with like the breakdown of institutions. Right. Because yeah, it was a survival what, situation right. that was that was impending, right? right? So the Jupiter missions were to explore other places that humanity could reside. Um, right. Given that, yeah. So so you're right. There's that element. Everybody there is is sort of desperate. But it seemed like in certain scenes with her sister uh, early on that. That they were suggesting that she was a pretty rotten person before, right? right. <laughs> even even before any of this state of nature kind of stuff, right? Right. So, what do we see? Do you think in uh, the Walking Dead? So there, there's a good example of what you're talking about about the different groups, right? So you've got um, the the protagonist, you know, Rick Grimes' group, doing what they have to to survive, and sometimes making tough choices, but. Um, trying to hang on to some kind of order and sort of, you know, um, morality. And they run into other groups along the way um, that are like that. They, they meet people and they say, oh, you're kind of like us. And these are people who are invited to, to join them. Um, and then you meet groups like Negans, right, who mm-hmm. are just as corrupt as can be, right? And they're not, they're not trying to recreate, you know, some, something that looks like what would have been normal before the zombie apocalypse. I mean, it's just a power grab and, you know, the, the strongest person's on top and he's beating the people right under him, but 
he gives them a little something if they beat the people below them and and it, and it just ripples down right so there um that it just strikes me as ugly as can be and that that seems even more hobbesian than than the grimes group yeah absolutely i don't think that we see one picture emerge of human nature in orange is the new black either uh you kind of get a a smorgasbord of of personality types and that seems more plausible to me so one thing that i was thinking is uh that this is a, a an apt criticism of philosophy that the existentialists have raised historically where they're critical of philosophers who attempt to uh, define the the human essence uh what human beings mm-hmm. are essentially right you where an existentialist would maintain that you are the set of choices that you make. You, it, that your existence precedes your essence. You create yourself. Um, and so there's not going to be one way that people are going to behave. Right, um, right. And I think that's what you see in, in the Orange is the New Black scenario. Um, there are distinct personality types. Some, some are behaving um, a lot like the way Locke would think they would behave, where they're um, respecting a set of maybe natural rights mm-hmm. where, uh, but some of them are behaving in the way that Hobbes would think that, that people would behave in a state of nature. Right. Right. And in, in a lot of cases, um, not even with respect to their self-interest, it's just, they're, they're liberated, even though ironically they're, they're in prison. Um, but for a little while there, they can do whatever they want and that's what they do. Right. It's um, like that, you know, island in Pinocchio where the, the bad boys go to become donkeys. It's just, you know, there's some segments of that show. People are just running up and down the halls screaming and um, yelling at people and lashing out and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and then others are, are very sort of methodical. It's also common for these uh, s- stories that make use of state of nature type scenarios to explore uh the early sort of beginnings of the creation of political institutions. And in, in the, the Walking Dead, for example, you see political institutions built up and then you see them knocked down by various forces. Um, so one thing that Hobbes maintained, as I mentioned, he argued for the monarchy. He, he argued for absolute monarchy. Um, is that you would need... To construct a civil society, you need to con- you need to develop laws, and you need to develop some enforcement mechanism for those laws, and and you'd need it to be grounded in an in an absolute authority, um, and so yeah, you need to have something like a king, um, yeah. and so I, I think it's it's th- this is something that is explored in The Walking Dead in the form of Rick Grimes, mm-hmm. right? They uh, and I'm not even sure that Rick Grimes is the person among all the people in his little faction that's best cut out to be the leader of everyone. Right, right. He's not the smartest. He's not the most capable, right? If we invoke Plato here and say what we really need is a philosopher king, uh-huh. right? Um, maybe Glenn or someone, you know. Yeah, um, any right. number of characters better suited in that respect. And then when they, they run into the, the, the kingdom um, and that particular group, um, the, the person that's the king there is, you know, maybe just sort of the most 
charismatic and the guy who happens to own a tiger. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's, he's not the obvious choice, right? Negan makes sense, right? He's, he's the, the biggest badass in the, in the group and it's a power grab. It's not a form society like you were just describing. Right. So, uh, how, how do you think this, this question gets pursued in other shows we've talked about? Uh, in, in, in Orange is the New Black, um, you see that the throughout the riot, you've got a group of people who are trying to hammer out some conditions uh, under which the riot would end, right? Right. And there, there are two things to, to note about them. Um, so one, they're the people that are sort of most vested in justice being done, right? So the riot starts as a result of um, the, the killing of Husay, and these are her closest friends, the ones that, um, they, they, you know, initially start the negotiations to ensure that, that her killer's brought to justice. Um, the other sort of noteworthy thing about this group um, is they're the ones closest to Caputo, right, who runs the prison um, sort of de facto, right? He's he's the figurehead once it becomes the case that it's a for hire prison, right? But they're they're the people best in position to negotiate. So they're they're emotionally invested and they're positioned well. Are they the best rulers? Um, no, right? What emerges is the the ones that that have the best opportunity to sort of act as leaders. And maybe in in that particular scenario. They're the only ones who care, right? Everybody else is just thinking we're on vacation, right? And until things start to get bad a little bit right. for them. It's it's interesting to think about these models of who we think are well cut out to be leaders. So I'm thinking uh, in in the Lord of the Flies, um, it seems pretty obvious that the character Piggy is in the best is is best suited. To be the leader because he's uh, he's the smartest, mm-hmm. uh, and and my, from my vantage point, those should be the people that emerge to be the best leaders uh, as the best leaders, and the community should recognize as the best leaders. But uh, uh, it seems like these sh- in many of these shows, it's uh, the biggest badass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Plato was right, listeners. Philosopher kings <laughs> are the answers to all your problems. Um, at least on that point, right? We, I think we can agree. <laughs> so this is a, a segment that we're um, planning on having in each podcast called What Are We Like in This Week? Right? So um, what sort of philosophy and pop culture things have, have we been um, paying attention to or involved with, exposed to, and so forth? So a couple things um, to, to remark. This week it was um, the Comic-Con convention in Salt Lake City, now known as FanX. And we had two panels um, this year at FanX. So one was on the philosophy of spoilers, and I got to talk a little bit about my forthcoming um, book, Spoiler Alert. It's a book about the philosophy of spoilers. And then we did a, a panel on artificial intelligence and pop culture. Um, they were both really fun. So the, the, the spoiler session um, mostly talked about things that were um, going to be discussed in the book. 
Um, the AI session, we had a number of things to discuss and, and we started talking about them. And the conversation with the audience was just fantastic. They had tons of questions. Um, so it really ended up um, going in interesting places, right? A lot of a lot of philosophy of mind stuff came up. Maybe it was a little more philosophical um, than we had planned for, but not more than we would have hoped, right? So we always sort of think, you know, who's the audience for this kind of thing? Um, and we didn't want it to get too too technical or um, too advanced. Um, but there was just a, a lot of people that, that knew an awful lot of philosophy. And so it was great. But we still managed to talk quite a bit about um, pop culture as well. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, do you want to talk about the good place? Yeah. So we're a little late to the game on this one. But uh, we, we, the good place had been recommended to us by lots of friends. Mm -hmm. um, and we finally, finally uh, checked it out and we like it a lot. So, um, which is a big deal for us because it's network TV <laughs> and, and I can't remember the last time I enjoyed something on network TV, um, you know, especially a sitcom. But, uh, I'm a sucker for law and order. So I, <laughs> I, I enjoy network TV a little bit better than you do yeah, yeah, only yeah. when it's crime related. Um, yeah. yeah. Probably have to go back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer before we okay, right. uh, we, both we really agreeing. embrace <laughs> yeah. something on a, on a network. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, it, 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 generally speaking, I find when, when pop culture tries to directly talk about philosophy, it often does a poor job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, but I think The Good Place does a really good job. So, there's a lot of discussion of... Uh, what they call ethics and moral philosophy in in the good place, and I I think that it's spot on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's smart. They're they're dropping the, the right sort of names, but then they're talking about them in the right sort of way, so it's not just name dropping. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you can contrast this with um, that that great American movie Roadhouse, right? <laughs> where where the the big badass in Roadhouse is also I, I think um, a PhD in philosophy or a philosophy professor and. They ask him what he does, and he said, oh, you know, man's search for truth and meaning in the universe or something like that, right? I mean, that's that's the common um, treatment of philosophy and these yeah. kinds of things. Um, but yeah, the, um, the, the good place has been a lot of fun. Um, they're raising issues, and it doesn't seem forced or clumsy. Mm -hmm. that The philosophy just blends right in. I think the acting is great. Great comedic timing from everybody. Yeah, so yeah. So we really recommend that. All right, so that's what, what we're liking this week. Um, as far as what we're going to be liking next week, who knows? Um, you'll have to tune in to find out. Okay, so now we're going to turn to uh, a feature of our podcast that we're planning on having every week, which we call Listener Musings. So the idea is a listener will go to our, our webpage, I think thereforeifan.com, right? All one word. I think therefore I fan. Go to the comments section and and send us a, a message, right? And the message can be a philosophical musing, something that you've been thinking about. It can pertain to philosophy and pop culture, but it needn't. It could just be any sort of philosophical issue. Whatever it is that you desire to get off your philosophical chest. And each week we'll we'll read through the ones we receive and we'll pick one of the ones that we like the best and read it on the air and discuss it a little bit. So as Fabrice Fabrice says, 
Um, this is your time to shine. So tell us about today's musing, right? Uh, this musing comes from Devon, and it's on a social issue that I think is important and worth talking about. So here's what Devon writes. I recently read an article on Medium.com written by Nat Eliason titled, Yes, You Should Delete Facebook. The reason behind his argument was as follows. Of all the apps and social media we use, Facebook is the largest, owning the, owning Facebook, the Facebook app, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Instagram. Secondly, they rely specifically on data mining the phones and internet activity of their consumers to create revenue through ads that have been tailored to get the most clicks. And to amp up this revenue, they have to do whatever they can to get us to want to stay on the platform for as long as possible. Essentially, they know more about us than most of our friends, and we entrust them with all that personal information. Yet they are using it entirely to generate money off of us, something we would never allow from a friend. In essence, we are the product and the consumer. As somewhat of a secondary point, but a recurring theme of the article, it was pointed out that Facebook is an imitation of something we've been doing in humanity for the last 100,000 years, socializing. And it doesn't replicate this very well, with the lazy way in which we obtain information from our friends. As a byproduct, our creative social muscle is weakening as we develop the frame of mind that without Facebook, we cannot know what's going on with the people we care about. The conclusion is that by staying on Facebook, we are saying yes to this as an acceptable business platform. This got me thinking about the times I thought my use of Facebook has felt something like an addiction, something I compulsively checked. I had times where I felt like I had to take a break from it, and as a person with several years of recovery under my belt from other more material addictions, the similarity isn't lost on me. Also, that Facebook data mines our personal information isn't news to me, and it's always been something that nags at me in the back of my mind as I use it. Something akin to a guilty pleasure, maybe? So what are your thoughts? Is Facebook here to stay, a necessary evil, or should we collectively back out and let the tech and business worlds know that we disagree with the ethics involved in this kind of business model? All right, that, that was great. Um, really interesting take. So a number of things um, to sort of think about there. Yeah. Should we collectively back out? What do, what do you think? Uh, well, I know I've personally taken many, many so social media breaks, uh, Facebook breaks in particular. So I can relate to Devin here. Um, but it's, it's definitely, it's an ethical question. There are definitely ethical implications of staying on sites like this. Mm -hmm. um, well, social media can be used to do a lot of great things also. So you kind of have to weigh those consequences. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's in part why I'm torn, right? So I really like being connected and in touch with all these people from various stages of my life that I wouldn't be connected with. Um, on the other hand, um, I do sort of appreciate the, the badness that goes along with it. I liked what he said about, um, you know, we, we wouldn't allow our friends to make money off of this, which reminds me, um, friends, if you want to donate <laughs> to this podcast, there's there's a link on the webpage. I think they're forifan.com. Um, just click on it. You can go to Patreon or um, PayPal and make a donation. Um, I have no intention of profiting off my friends. I, I fully expect we'll get just enough to recover our costs and the rest will go to charity. But anyway, back to, to Devin's um, <laughs> thoughtful um, query there. Well, I there's also, I mean, it depends on how you use Facebook in many ways. Um, so if you're using Facebook to uh, access sites, I know a lot of the sites that I access, I, I'm, 
follow a Facebook page for Effective Altruism, which is about uh, giving charitably in the most effective way possible. Um, I follow an Ethics and Animals site. I follow a number of different Facebook pages pertaining to teaching ethics. And I think that, that having those communities does help out. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, in addition to the, the analytics and the, the profiting office and all of that sort of stuff, um, the addiction angle that he mentioned, I do sometimes worry about the, the sheer number of hours I can spend on Facebook in a week oh, yeah. if I'm not sort of monitoring myself. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complicated issue. Right. Well, thanks, Devin. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot. That's a, a great way to kick it off. Okay, folks. Well, that's a wrap. Episode one is in the can. Thank you very much for, for listening. We, we appreciate it. Um, and we certainly hope you will subscribe and, and tune back in. Uh, Rich, what do, what do we have up for next week? Next week, we're going to talk about the philosophy of David Lynch's Twin Peaks. So make sure to join us. All right. Sounds spooky. Okay. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.